Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Anthony Ania. I'm the uh, managing member of Ania Scanlon and Sirignano with offices in White Plains and Somers, New York. And I'm very happy to have with me today Michael Pine of Think Wealth. Michael is a very experienced uh, advisor in the financial services industry. Uh, he's been working in that industry for almost 30 years. And uh, he's going to talk to you today about something very interesting and something that a topic that most individuals don't spend a, a great deal of time thinking about. And that is the issue of when it is the best time for you to start receiving your social security retirement benefits. So as you're aging, one of the big decisions that individuals in their 60s have to make is, when are they going to elect to start receiving their social security retirement benefits? And I think most people, because retirement age for many people has always been considered to be 65, they always think that 65 is when you should be retiring. But in fact, that may not be the correct age for you to retire. So Mike, one of the first questions I'm going to ask you is, how does one determine what their full retirement age is? So it's a good question because uh, most people do not really know and it's, and it's been changing. So if you're, born, if you're born in a certain period of time, it is 66. And then if you're born after that period of time, it's 66 in several months. So you have to look at your current age to determine that. So it could be as high as 67. It's in between 66 and 67, depending on your birth year. And we could tell um, exactly what it is based on your birthday, but it's not just 66 anymore. And it's not just 65 because it has changed. And, and that's important because if you receive the social security retirement benefits before your full retirement age, you're not going to be able to have a place on a beautiful beach like Mike has. <laughs> that is a screen, correct, Mike? No, no, no. This is where I am. I'm taking my time right now to come off the beach to talk to you. All right. Very good. And that's because of all the uh, wealth you created in your financial services planning. Well, because clients. I'm helping a lot of people try to figure this out because when we did a survey, you know, most people do not understand what their benefits are. There's a lot of information out there, but not a lot of people understand uh, what are their truths and what is reality. So like you said before, you know, when you're, when you're finding out when do I take the benefit, most people don't realize you could take it at 62. That doesn't mean you're going to get the full benefit. And if you're working and you're collecting an income, then you will have a reduced benefit. So you have to figure out where you are. And, and if, if you are financially strapped and you have no choice, then obviously that's another like a, a fatal illness of some sort where you're, you're not going to live long, then that's another choice. So it does have something to do with also where you are in your life. So I guess then the issue is, it's developing a strategy as to your age, what is your full retirement age? And does that strategy also involve looking at the retirement age of your spouse if you're married? Yes, absolutely. And it also also looks at like, where is your money? You're like, do I have enough money to wait it out? I mean, we've had several situations where the client doesn't hasn't accumulated a lot of money or went from job to job or left because of the pandemic and didn't really have enough money. So it wasn't a matter of picking a strategy. It was like, I need money now. 
So I can't wait until 70. And yes, I'd love to wait till 70, but I don't know that I'll make it financially. So that is one strategy. But if you're married and your spouse has been working as well, the first thing that I ask people to do is go to get your green sheets. Remember those used to, those green sheets they used to send everybody would show you how much are you entitled to? Well, they stopped sending it to everybody. So I encourage people to go on the social security website, which is ssa.gov. And then you could pull up your profile and it will show you exactly what you're entitled to and when and how much. So it does depend on the spouse as well. And then you can figure out your numbers. And, and, and incidentally, um, Tony, sometimes when we get that information, it also shows your earnings. And sometimes that's not correct. Social security number is wrong. The earnings year of 2018 that didn't show the right number. And once you pull the trigger, it's irrevocable. You can't go back and change it. So you want to change it before you actually make a decision because that affects all of your income. So in essence, if you actually take your social security before your full retirement age, you're, you're locked into that amount. You're never going to be able to get your full retirement age benefit. So there's one caveat in the first year, if you determine you've made a mistake, they will allow you one time to come back and say, oops, made a mistake. You'll have to pay back what they gave you. Then you can reset it. It used to be five years. Now it's one year. So that's only one caveat that you could do that. Not many people do that, but you do have a one, one and done situation that you could make a change if you messed it up or you found out that it probably wasn't the right way, or you came to see us and we said, Hey, listen, it probably would be better to do it this way. Yes, you can. And I think you touched on this a little bit in one of your answers. You, it, so it is true that if you continue to work during the time you're receiving your full retirement benefits or eligible for them, then those full retirement benefits are reduced based on your income from employment. Correct. Right. And how does that how does that determine? Is it a percentage? Yep. Good question. That's a lot of people come to us with this question. So first of all, the threshold is around seventeen thousand dollars. So if you make under seventeen thousand, you don't have to worry. If you make over seventeen thousand dollars per year, then you start giving back some of the money based on your age. It could be for every two dollars you earn, you're going to give one dollar back. It it depends. Once you hit your full retirement age, whether it's 66 in two months or 66 in three months, after that, you can make $5 million and not have to give back a nickel. So that's the first threshold of I can do whatever I want and earn whatever I want and not have to give it back. If you do it prior to that, you're going to trade some dollars with them and not get the full benefits. And then it, change, it never changes and it stays the same. That's it. So the, the key is the full retirement age. Is that correct? The key is your full retirement age, knowing exactly when it is. And you could do it on the website there. You could do it on our website. We'll let you know based on your birthday immediately when it is. And those sheets will show you exactly when your full retirement age is. So I know that there are some strategies involved with social security retirement benefits where you can file and defer. Right. So let's talk a little bit about those. What do those strategies entail in terms of making a filing but not receiving the payment? Can okay. you go, go elaborate on that a little yeah. bit? So let's talk about the one you're talking about here is the one where you're married and you have a spouse. Now it could be same-sex marriage or it could be non-same-sex marriage. So it's all the same now 
It's all universal. So if you have a, uh, a husband and a wife and or or same-sex marriage and you fall within the birthday, if you're between uh, you're born between 1943 and 1954, you are eligible for something called file and restrict. If you are born after that, it's not pertinent anymore. So the, the window is closing a little bit because those people who are around right now, they, you know, there's not as many as there were. But if you do fall into that grandfathered rule, a file and restrict strategy says that I have a husband and a wife or a spouse, and I'm going to try to get the most amount of benefits I can get out of the system. And what we do is we look at what el everyone's eligible for. And if you go ahead and file the largest check, we do not file for that one if it works out that way. And what we do is we say, I'm going to file for benefits, but I'm going to not take the money. So that's a restrict. So I will file, put them on notice, but don't send me a check. And then the spousal benefit begins, whatever that number is, we'll find that out. And then the person who did not file, their benefit will grow every single year by 8% per year plus a cost of living adjustment until 70 when you have to take it. So in between then and 70, you can just choose not to or two, but your benefit will grow greater than where the money is in the market. If you're earning 8% in your stocks and bonds, great. Every single year guaranteed? I don't think so. So if you have the ability to play this game, and it is a game because you got to know the rules, you then can outpace your money and wait until later on to get the most amount of money that's available to the system. And if you don't do it, you don't get it. So you have to choose the benefit. So you have you, if you're going to do this file and restrict strategy, you have to be born between 1953 and 1954 have- Actually, okay. 1943, sorry. 19 1943 and 1954. Oh, so that's a pretty large group of people. But yes. the ones born in the, in the 1940s, they've all reached their full retirement age by now. They have already, you're exactly right. So now with the windows closing in a little bit, so those people who are, you know, right in that- Born in 1950, 50, well, even those are getting closer to reaching their full retirement age. Right, yeah. where they so cannot use the strategy. So it, it's a very small window of opportunity now for those that are in that age group. At, for those who are married. Married yes, within that, the ages uh, being born between 1950 right. and 1953. Correct. And that's a very cool strategy. So if you don't use the strategy, you don't get it. They don't automatically give it to you. They don't send you notifications. Oh, by the way, Tony, you've fallen in this area. Why don't you look at this? That's not happening. You have to know this. You had to be told by your law firm or our firm, hey, by the way, you may qualify and then you go and investigate it and find out what the numbers look like of which we could run for you the scenarios and then you could figure out if that makes good sense. So it's, it's not unusual to have couples that are married where there are significant age gaps. 10, Second 15, marriages, right, right, exactly. Second yep. marriage is 10, 15 years of age gap. Yep. Are there any strategies that can be employed when you have that large of an age gap between one spouse and the other? Yeah. And so that's a good question too. And these are some of the lots of the questions. So first of all, it's not one size fits all. It's not like right. a plain vanilla strategy fits everybody. It's a custom tailored suit. So you literally come in with facts 
here's my age, here's what my benefits are. And it's a very much of a finesse move. You have to look at the, at the each of the different scenarios that you have the fact patterns for, and then you can determine which way is best. When you have someone, there's a 10-year difference, someone is under the age and someone is close by, which we get a lot of that, then there's a couple different strategies there. Assuming, assuming that there was not a divorce in between there. So that's another one we could talk about in a second. But let's just say, for argument's sake, first marriage, and they just happen to be a 10-year difference, they could use this strategy one or the other could use this strategy. Okay. So what if you mention the words divorce? So, and the other thing I always think about is what happens if I have a spouse and they pass away, uh, will I receive their benefits? Yeah. So widowed benefits are probably the most misunderstood of all of the strategies. So this is a good one. So what happens is and I actually had this personally happen in my family. And that's how I got very much into this. You know how that works? You just, all of a sudden something happens. You say, oh, let me investigate that. And I found out, oh my God. So my father-in-law lost his spouse. And at the time I was told, I think there's a benefit out there available for Colleen. Why don't you look into it? And everyone said, no, that's not possible. She's no longer here. So the answer is, there is a bucket available for your living spouse to take the widow's benefit first. Now it's use it or lose it, which is very hard to hear. So here was David who was about to get into, he was about 65 years old at the time, 66 at his full retirement age, Colleen about the same age, he was going to pull his benefits. Then I said, wait a second, let's, look at what hers was. So he was eligible for her monthly benefit up until 70. He could start taking hers. Now it's less than his, his benefit automatically went on this trajectory of every single year, his benefit of 3000 a month increased by 8% per year. So that by the time he's 70, it's almost $4,000. And in the meantime, he was taking her $1,500 a month without it, he wouldn't have had it. And he was able to wait it off until he was 70. And, and yes, yeah, so there's there's a bucket of money available at a widow that you must look at. And in some scenarios, and in his, he didn't have to wait till 70 to pull on his because his benefit actually grew enough to make it make sense for him to take it a little bit earlier. And we wouldn't have known that if we hadn't run the calculations. So that's a very unique one. So when your spouse dies, there is the possibility that before you take your benefits at full retirement age, you can start drawing down on your spouse's unused benefits. Yes. And if you don't, you do not get it. And you so lose. you don't want to pull yours first because once you do that, you lose the window. The other question I have is if I have a spouse, can they receive benefits from my record, even though they have no individual earning history? So it's not from your record. It's actually they're eligible automatically for 50% had they not worked. And we have a lot of people like that, right? You know, so there's a spouse that wasn't working and then there's a spouse that was automatically the spouse who wasn't working is entitled to 50% when they start 
whichever is, and if they had more, obviously they'll take more. So the, the bottom line is a 50% number. If they were eligible for more than that, then they would pull that, but they, they don't get zero. So that's, that's good news for them. That's huge news for them yeah. because they, most people come to me and say, well, she hasn't worked or he hasn't worked. He's probably not entitled. I said, no, no, hold on a minute. Let's, let's find that out. That may not be true. And as we went through the system to find out, now all of a sudden it's available. The other thing involving a spouse is what if I get divorced and then I pass away? Does my divorced spouse have any rights to any benefits based on my record? So divorce is the third scenario where it is mostly not understood. So here's the way the divorce um, bucket of money works. You, if, as long as you were married for 10 years prior to this period of time and you are not remarried currently, you're entitled to your ex-spouse's benefits immediately. Now, if you're under 66 or the, whatever your retirement age, you may not want to pull this if you're earning income again. It's back to the earnings test again. But let's just assume for this simple example, that person's 66 and over. At that point, they go back and they find out what was eligible for their, their ex-spouse and they can start grabbing that benefit now, defer theirs again at the 8% rule and until they're ready, they will then take the ex-spouse's income and then they will turn theirs on when they're done. But I think that the thing that you said that is critical is that you can't be remarried at the time that your ex-spouse dies. Correct. Because then you are not eligible for that. That ends. So you must be unmarried at that particular time to start the benefits. You can so marry afterward. You, can you remarry afterwards? Mm -hmm. And that won't affect the benefit. Mm -mm. No, because you're, you're already on the dole. Okay. And with respect to Social Security in general, is there a requirement that you have to be a U.S. citizen to receive the benefits, or is it sufficient that you are a resident you know, legal alien? Yeah, you don't have to be a, um, a U.S. citizen, which a lot of people don't understand resident aliens because they're paying into the system. Right. That's what it's all about. If you're paying into the system, you're eligible for benefits. So you have credits of it. You have to look at the credits now, which is everybody. But in this particular case, you look at how many quarters and how many credits. Again, that's off that sheet that comes up that shows how you were compensated in the U.S., in U.S. dollars to be eligible for the benefit. So technically, you could be here illegally. And if, and if Social Security is being withdrawn from your salary you can actually receive social security benefits. Yeah, there's a lot of resident aliens that we now know that don't fall into the category of, you know, being here legally. And there's a big fight going on right now, as we know. But yes, that's one of the loopholes of the system, which, uh, which most people have no idea about. Well, I, I, again, that's that's something that the, for the government to address. And that's a separate <laughs> issue completely. But but I'm more focused on the planning aspect of this. And I think what you're saying, if I can summarize, is that if you get to that point where you're now starting to think about retirement, before you get there, you really need to sit down with somebody and look at your finances and look at what is the best time for you to start receiving your social security benefits. 
Yeah, Tony, because for the most part, it could be a million-dollar bucket between you and your spouse over your life expectancy of how much money is going to be paid out. Now, some people, that's real money. Some people, that makes a big difference because of their lifestyle. Other people who are, let's say, uh, don't really need the money still come to us and say, I'm not going to hold any money on the table. This could be for my grandkids. I could do a strategy where I take the money and then I actually gift it to my grandkids, or I could gift it to a charitable foundation, which helps me possibly with the tax end of it, because there's another strategy for that. And so nobody really, and it affects everybody too, like some not every benefit out there affects every U.S. citizen or everybody that we're dealing with. This happens to be one that regardless of your stature, so to speak, you're going to have to make a choice. So there's need. There's also some of the wealthier clients of ours. It's almost like a game. They don't want to lose anything, right? So we, you see this all the time too. You just say, I don't want the government to get anything. <laughs> I'd like to get whatever's on the table. Well, I want I, it for my kids. Right. Or my grandkids. I, or my I, grandkids. I want what I'm entitled to. I want what I'm entitled to. And so some some people will come to us. And what I, I think one of the biggest things we deal with is, well, the money won't be there. Right? This system is going to fall apart. They read about fake news, so to speak. That's not true. This is based on a bond strategy, not a public bond, by the way. It's internally. And they can change the levers of, they print money. They Originally, the, the age was 65 when you were collecting benefits. Then they realized that maybe they should move this to 66 and 67. So somebody who's in their 30s didn't know the difference between 65 or not. They're 67. They wouldn't know the difference. So they've already moved the scale to 67 without anybody knowing about it. And understand, too, how this gets paid. When you as an employee, pay your FICA taxes, part of that money is going to pay your social security. Right. Your employer matches exactly that amount. So there's two buckets going in. What they're thinking about and have thought about before is why don't we just increase the amount of the tax on the employee side, which will then increase it on the employer side. And Nobody will know the difference. I, I don't say that nobody's going to know the difference, but they're not going to riot the capital. They're just going to go, oh, okay, what am I going to do? And with that, they can, they can raise billions of dollars just on that strategy right there. And so they've done lots of different things. The other thing too, there's a cost of living adjustment that usually is attached going forward. Your benefit generally rises. Well, two years ago, they stopped it. And they wanted to see, I, I'm a skeptic, so I wanted, they wanted to see what the, what the response was. AARP got some letters. There was some things that were written about, but nobody really, again, rioted. The year after they brought it back again, there were some articles that I read. I'm sure you read some of them too. People were not happy. They saw their check. It didn't exactly rise. And so they can play with the cost of living adjustment as well to figure out how to pay for the benefits going forward. So in essence, what you're saying, there are so many different ways that the government can, can continue to ensure that the program exists. Yes. And, and, I don't the think and the likelihood of the program disappearing and Social Security collapsing is relatively small. Well, if you think about it, if you're a Congress person, right, and you vote against Social Security, you're ever going to get elected again? 
Probably I mean, not. Right. Probably so not. It's, um, no, everyone wants to kick this can down the road. They've been doing this for years and years. It was set up as a great system in, in the 30s to help people after the Depression. They didn't realize in the beginning it was like, you know, six people would contribute to one person retiring. Now it's sort of flipped on the other, on its head. And so more people are retiring than putting the money in the system. So they definitely have a, an issue there of trying to figure out how do I fund this thing? It wasn't meant this way. So we're, we've got to try to make sure that it, it's important for the public because there are still, especially in the pandemic. I mean, now what do we have? $3 trillion that's out on the street right now to help people in their businesses and personally, they're counting on this benefit. So I think, too, when you speak of the pandemic, I think I've read a lot of articles that this has put people's retirement plans on hold. So now you may have individuals working a lot longer than they anticipated because they were out of work for a year, they lost their job, whatever the situation was that impacted them financially. So now you're going to have more people working and paying into the system longer than they probably would have. Right. And the other thing which we've talked about, too, and, and you've seen this as well, is now with the way the markets have been operating, the money that they've saved in their 401k or their retirement plans are subject to the ups and downs. So when you pick a strategy and say, oh, I can wait to pull from my Social Security because I'll live on the money that I'm accumulating. If that drops by 20% because the market just took a hit, now all of a sudden they got to re rethink their strategy. Right. So if that's not protected and watched well, then that affects the decision-making because you always want to make the decisions based on, can I afford it? What do I think my longevity is going to be? Because people sometimes, the, the, the chances of one spouse today living in their to their 90s in that category are very high. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that in my career. I've been doing this for 36 years now, and I can tell you, that when I first started practicing law, if somebody came in and they were in their 80s, I would go, wow, this right. person's in their 80s. But now I get people that are 101, 102, 103, and 90-year-olds are like young. very common. Yeah, yeah. There's and uh, Hallmark wrote an, uh, wrote an article the uh, last week that said they're, they're selling more Centurion birthday cards than ever before. Right. So this is absolutely true. So people were not alive at 65 30, 40 years ago, they, they didn't make that life expectancy. Now we're, we're moving into 80s, 90s, and 100s, and forget the pandemic piece of it, but just in terms of the way the medical technology is going and what's happening in the world. So people are, we you don't want to outlive your money. That's a real concern. Yeah. So they certainly well, don't want the system to go. That's another thing, obviously. So I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll conclude with saying that Social Security and Social Security retirement benefits should be something that everybody plans for. It should be something that they take into account, sit down with somebody that has knowledge about the actual program, and review it as part of their financial asset review. Uh, yes. Michael, if you don't mind, you just want to give us your, your name, address, and the name of the firm. And Yep. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me, because I this part of our thing was to make sure we got educating we're educating people on this stuff because it's really, really important and really, really, uh, really true. By the way, Joe, we sent out a survey of this questionnaire, which we'll send to people. 1,500 people were 
given this quiz, this quiz of what the benefits are, some of the things we talked about, and only 3% got them all right. So we know that they're not understanding what's happening. So the company is Think Wealth. So we want you to think wealth. We want you to think about this and social security. And my email address is michael at thinkwealthllc.com. We have offices in New Jersey. We have offices in New York. We're experts in this field. There are other people too. You want to seek counsel as well, yourself and others who know about this, but you absolutely want to make a decision based on like Cy Sims used to say, right? An educated consumer is my best customer. You want to be educated. You, when you pull the trigger, that's up to you, but just don't do it like my mother did. It's another reason why I did this because she didn't know the difference. And at 62, she pulled it and she's now 86. So the government's made money on her. The government has, and they've never sent flowers. <laughs> well, thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm hopeful that everybody learned something from this program today. And I look forward to speaking to you and seeing you soon. And, uh, and folks, we'll see you at the next podcast, okay? Again, Anthony Ania, managing member of Ania Scanlon and Seriano. We are an elder law boutique firm in White Plains with offices in White Plains and Somers, New York. Thank you very much.